No, but I'll tell you something that might surprise you. I have the anagram curse. Uh, I rearrange letters in a word in my head. Lightning speed. Nobody knows what it's a weird craziness. Tragedy is that Agnew left. One week before I realized that Spiro Agnew is grow a penis. <laughs> History is strange. It's alien. And it won't give us what we would like to have. It's hour three of a Tuesday morning on Bill Mick Live. The West Cocoa Pharmacy is our hour sponsor. Headline at BillMick.com, lawyers and leadership. We're going to forego that as we are uh, foregoing the telephones for the day. They're working on the issue. It is a nationwide issue with our phones, interestingly enough. And I just got an update at the top of the hour break that they are working with AT&T to get all of that worked out. But it's not going to stop us from doing what we do on a Tuesday because if it's Tuesday at 8 o'clock, it's Dave Does History on Bill Mick Live. Dave Bowman, who's been with us for the whole show, thank you again for that, Dave. I enjoy when we can chat other things along with doing Dave Does History. It's fun. You know, back when we were doing this, and I'm going to digress for just a moment. Go ahead. Back when we were doing this in Modesto together, we got an email one day from a listener who said, it's like sitting with my family at the breakfast table. And I've always striv- striven strove, striven, to strive strived to recreate that. That's that's something I want to live up to every time. So when you're listening to the two of us together or me and Rod or whoever, that's the that's the feeling I want you to have. Like you're just sitting around breakfast having coffee with us. Throwing biscuit each other, biscuits at each other across the table. That, well, that Don't would be waste fun. food, especially good what? biscuits. Don't waste biscuits. No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> and sadly... The absolute very best biscuits and gravy in Florida is made by McDonald's. And I have shared that with friends here. It, it, none of these folks who move here from up north know how to make biscuits and gravy to start with. And they refuse to start their gravy with sausage grease. So the, the flavor is gone at that point. It's like, if you don't know how to make them, stop advertising you got them because really, you don't have them. I always thought you Hardee's know. was pretty good. Do you not have Hardee's there? There's one in the county that I'm aware of, maybe two, but one close enough to me to go. Haven't been for a long time. Well, there you go. McDonald's does a great job with biscuits and gravy. And most of the locations here have them, not all, but most do. So that, and it took them forever to get them. They had them in West Virginia forever. In West Virginia, they don't measure up just as much, but down here, it's the gold standard for biscuits and gravy, man. Here it's non-existent. <laughs> yeah, it's the West Coast. Nobody here knows how to do that. You need that Southern education. Um, we're talking vice presidents today. And, and then specifically, we're talking Spiro Agnew. And, and this may be, in my mind, as I was growing up, the first real, in quotes, political scandal that I've seen, Dave. Yeah, it was. And it was so subsumed by what else was going on mm-hmm. at the time that it was. I remember it happening, but I don't. But it's the vice president, Bill. Is there anybody more useless than the vice president? Well, yes. Are you talking to today? <laughs> there, there actually is a, well, I meant in an office. There actually is an office that's more useless than the vice president, and that would be mm-hmm. the, what I refer to as the ass governor, the assistant governor of whatever state, particularly California. Yeah. I mean, it's pointless. Why, why do we even have this? When um, Arnold Schwarzenegger left the state of California a few years ago, he had an assistant governor. And he literally told the guy, stay out of my office, don't do anything. 
he was in Europe. Arnold was in Europe, but he had a cell phone and a computer and internet. And, you know, he's like, he could govern from wherever he was. Yeah. Right. So when it comes to the vice president, well, what does the vice president actually do? We have one. What does the constitution actually say what they do? Other you know than. No, it, I don't guess so, other than wait for the president to die. Well, no, but, he, has, he has one role, which is to vote if the Senate is deadlocked. True. But, but that's it. it the, to he, give Mike Pence credit, and I don't think he's going to get anywhere near the Republican nomination, but as vice president, he was as active a vice president as I have seen. And we saw it more here on the Space Coast because he was running the space initiative out of the White House, and, and he was the, the I guess, the liaison to the White House for what was going on space-wise. And we saw Mike Pence here pretty frequently and very engaged in, in America's space program. And, and I appreciated that. Yeah. The original Constitution, as, as ratified before the uh, 12th and 22nd and 25th Amendments, it wasn't even clear, Bill, that the vice president became president if the president died or left office. I remember hearing you talk about that in the past, it, yeah. It wasn't clear, and it was only one guy, John Tyler, who decided that it was clear that it became a tradition, not a law. So it was, uh, it's interesting. It's an interesting job. But in 1968, which was one of the weirdest years in the history of this country, 68, for those of you that remember it, was, uh, it was stressful. It was strange. It was magnificent. And yet it was scary all at the same time. And it was into that arena that Richard Nixon, running for the presidency again, looked around the country and said, I need a vice presidential candidate. And he settled on a guy from Maryland by the name of Spiro T. Agnew. And we pick it up in 60 seconds right here on Bill McLive. Dave Bowman with us with Dave Does History. So Spiro Agnew, normally when you think of vice presidential nominees, Dave, you're looking for somebody who can bring you, oh, a bunch of electoral votes from their state. Maryland, not that big. How many electoral votes they have? Four? Well, it wasn't that it was that big. It's that Maryland, and particularly Agnew, represented a portion of society in America that was needed by Nixon. Nixon was a Californian, which isn't, you know, in that era, not a bad thing. But the country was very divided. I, I don't, you know, we look at it today and, you know, we have these fond memories, but how much do we remember about the world in 1968? Do we remember that Vietnam. that was... Okay. Do we remember that there was the, that was the year of the Tet Offensive? That was the year that LBJ said, I'm not running. Martin Luther King assassinated. Robert F. Kennedy assassinated. Student protests. The Chicago Democratic Convention. Uh -huh. protests at the Olympics. Remember the guys at the Olympics? Oh, the Mexico City, yeah. right? With the, yeah. with the fist in the air. Yeah. All of this stuff going on. And, and you had very divisive elements. The, the, the racial tensions, we talk about racial tensions today. I don't think they were anything like what they were in that era. That was the era of the civil rights movement. You had a lot of stuff happening that was just, I remember the stress, and, and uh, you know, I say this, I, I'm not trying to be flippant or anything, but I grew up in a very Southern family, a very Southern Protestant family, and the, you know, that grew up in the Depression and those sorts of things. And so there were certain mindsets that were 
presumed. In 1968, much of that was hitting the fan, as they say. And Nixon mm-hmm. looked around the country when he won, when he was going to win the nomination, and he knew he was going to win the nomination. Um, and he needed someone on his ticket who wasn't just, you know, bringing me a few electoral votes. He needed someone that had gravitas in the law and order and, quite frankly, the anti-civil rights chaos movement. And Spiro Agnew was that guy. He had really cranked down on, on violence and protests in Maryland. He had really, you know, controlled all those things. And he was, he was chosen by Nixon for that reason. Now, he told Agnew that you're going to be, quote, the most active vice president ever. You're going to be involved in all this stuff. We're going to, we're going to get this country back on these things and you're going to handle that. And you're going to, you're going to be doing all this stuff. And Agnew, for some reason, and I don't really know why, chose to believe Nixon that he was going to be this, you know, important person with gravitas in the, in the administration. And he was going to be, quote, the most active vice president in the history of the country. Well, as we know, the he vice president. He didn't realize Nixon meant most actively investigated. Well, what he, what he didn't seem to know is that, as one vice president said, remember, no one decides who they're going to vote for based on the vice president. I mean that literally. And the person who said that was Joe Biden. <laughs> so nobody voted for Nixon because of Spiro Agnew. I'm convinced of that. But Nixon was convinced that somehow or another he was going to turn this guy into, I don't know, the George Washington of vice presidents. And I think Agnew thought he was going to be that. But the problem is, and we talked about this a couple hours ago, when you're in those kind of positions, you make enemies. And enemies try to destroy you. And they're going to find anything and everything they can to destroy you. And as history would unfold in 1968 to 1973, Spiro Agnew, who was not well-liked, was not well-respected, not well-regarded by most of the country, had some problems and had some issues, none of which were anywhere close to Watergate, but they were concurrent with Watergate, and they would make him not the most active vice president of all time. And there was something else that, that was in the material, Dave. And you said he became the face of the Nixon administration. Oh, he will. He will. With the, with the media, right? He will. Yes, he will. We'll get there. And, and that's a big change from how the media treated the presidency, maybe the vice presidency, before that. So we'll dig into all of that as we look at Spiro T. Agnew, vice president for most of Nixon's time in office. When we continue, Dave does history. On Bill Mick Live. Stay with us on WMMB.
Attention class, our weekly dive into history begins now. Dave Bowman joins us on Bill McLive, and there will be a test. Thank you, Victor Lyle. Dave Bowman with us from Silverdale, Washington, as we weekly jump into Dave Does History. Of all the things in the history of this country, who'd have thought, Dave, we'd be talking Spiro T. Agnew? <laughs> Not me. Well, there's a reason why we're talking about him today, but, you know. Well, yeah. It was in Dave, it was in uh, our It was in the today. news. Yeah, today yeah. in history. Yeah. So... Nixon chooses Agnew because he's very, he's seen as very law and order. And in 1968, the country was very not law and order. Very, in, in many ways, similar to the summer of 2020. In, in, in a lot of ways. And the same, the same kind of violence, the same kind of protesting and that sort of stuff. And it became the issue in the 1968 campaign. The, the Democrats were very divided after Chicago. Nobody could get anything traction-wise. The disaster that had been Johnson's policies in Vietnam, all of this stuff was adding up. And, and Nixon, who had lost a very close race to Kennedy in 1960, was, was headed towards a landslide in, in 68. Well, choosing Agnew, again, Nobody votes for the president based on who the vice presidential candidate is. I don't think John McCain understood that. John McCain picked, you know, Sarah Palin because he thought it would appeal to conservatives. But the problem is, even if he'd have won, Sarah, Sarah would have been, you know, shuffled off to the side mm -hmm. and, and not done anything. Look at the current vice president. What does she actually do? Hackles. Right. But, you know, there Word you go. Salads. Nixon promised Agnew that he would be very active. He would be very involved with things, that he would be very, you know, he would be a huge part of the administration. And Agnew, for, for his credit, believed him. Mm -hmm. But that didn't last long. When Agnew showed up to his first cabinet meeting after the election and after they were, you know, sworn in and that sort of stuff. Agnew went to the Senate to preside and basically discovered that they didn't want him there. We'll call you if we need you. Don't, you know, don't bother. We'll, we'll call you. And so he left, yeah. showed up to his first cabinet meeting and actually dared to speak at the first cabinet meeting uh -oh. and was quickly informed that he was not there to speak. You were to be seen and not heard. In fact, it'd be really nice if you weren't even seen. If you just, you know, didn't show up, we'd be okay with that. Because really, you're the vice president. Nobody cares what you think of this whole thing. And so you start wondering here if Agnew is really part of the inner circle, or was that just a you know, a carrot given to him to get him to run. Because again, Nixon did need that law and order aspect. That was his whole campaign, if you recall, back in 68. It was law and order. Let's get control of this stuff. Oh, and I've got a secret plan, plan to end the war in Vietnam. Nobody knew what the secret plan was. Probably Agnew didn't know what the plan was. And this goes on for 
the entire first term of the Nixon administration. There are some areas where Agnew kind of dabbles in them, but for the most part, he's told to, you know, thank you for your input. We'll take that in consideration. Or my favorite phrase, noted. And then they send him on his way to, to go to a funeral or something because, really, he's the vice president. Who cares? Back to Dave Bowman and Dave does history. So Agnew gets the typical vice presidential treatment, Dave, when he was expecting to get something a little more. Yeah, it's it's not quite Hubert Humphrey-esque where, you know, Humphrey is basically the angel of death. He's sent to all the, the funerals around the world for Johnson, but right. but it might as well be. But then things start happening. Nixon's secret plan to end the war in Vietnam is, well, nobody knows if it's working or not because the war is still going on. And in fact, it seems like Nixon's secret plan to end the war in Vietnam is to just carpet bomb the snot out of North Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And this, of course, creates more protests, more anti-Vietnam activism. And so Nixon hits on an idea. He sends Agnew, the vice president, out to talk to the media, to give speeches, not just sound bites, but to actually give speeches criticizing all this anti-war effort because that's going to, I don't know, improve things. Dave, I was nine years old. Was Agnew a great orator? Was he any good at this? Well, he's the guy that came up with this phrase, nattering nabobs nabobs of negativism. Negativism. I've slaughtered that, didn't I? If you ask me where that originated, I would have said laugh in. Right. Nattering nabobs of negativism. Yeah. Agnew came up with that. He was an attack dog when it came to the media on these people, and he was everywhere on television at the time. You saw him every night because he yeah. was he was the spokesperson of the Nixon administration when it came to that issue, and he was you, doing you great. Think at that it. comes from Nixon not liking TV after the Kennedy debate it back in '60. Came from Nixon's adversarial relationship with the media, which was uh-huh. classic. Nixon did not like the media; they didn't like him, and it only got worse. Well, so, and, and again, like I said a little earlier. That was a big change from how they treated the presidency and presidents in the past, the media. It was like a turning point. And if, if you had to stick a media member as the as the as the bulletin board pin for that, I think it'd be Dan Rather. Hmm. Could very well be. But it also goes back to the secret plan isn't working. And what we talk mm-hmm. about in the first hour. Well, if you knew what I knew, you'd know what I was doing. But I'm not yeah. going to tell you what I'm doing because you don't need to know. Well, that's not going to build your relationship with with the media. I mean, other presidents, Roosevelt, Eisenhower, took the media into their confidence with the assurance that, you know, you're going to be helpful here. Nixon never had that relationship. And by sending Agnew out as his attack dog, it just made it worse because despite his alliteration and his speaking ability, Agnew still came across as the stereotypical Southern white sheriff in in so many ways. He came across as that guy who was just going to beat you with a stick if you didn't listen to it. And that was not well received in the country. But there were people paying attention. I'm not sure that anywhere I grew up, that would be West Virginia, which is a border state to Maryland, 
would consider Maryland part of the South. Yeah, well, Maryland considers itself part of the South. So, <laughs> well, I, I, how do you be part of the South when you're north of DC? It's just but you're south of the Mason-Dixon line. So, well, okay, if that's the dividing point, then maybe that's where we go. Interesting about Spiro Agnew and where it all goes from here. I guess it just all goes downhill. We find out as Dave Does History continues into our final segment of Bill McLive for a Tuesday morning, a phoneless Tuesday on the show. We're back in a moment. Live programming when a storm hits to the Stormwatch page on our website. WMMB is here before, during, and after the storm. It's Operation Stormwatch, brought to you by O'Galley Electric. The West Cocoa Pharmacy bringing you our final hour of a Tuesday together. It's uh, Tuesday, 8 o'clock hour, and that means Dave does history on Bill McLive. And uh, we're talking the vice presidency and specifically Spiro Agnew. And so he was guess Dave, a lightning rod for the media and for whatever else was going on at the time, right? You had to use that phrase, didn't you? Why? See, we were talking about the Modesto Bee during the break, which is our favorite newspaper, and that's the Modesto Bee's favorite phrase. He was a lightning rod for controversy. Oh, that's funny. I, I bet that phrase ran at least weekly in the Modesto Bee somewhere. Oh, May still for all I know. But yeah, Agnew was, uh, he was sent out there to be the... To, to take the hits from mm-hmm. the media and from the public and that sort of thing. And congratulations, Spiro, you're the bulletproof vest for the administration. Right. So 1972 is coming up and Nixon never says to Agnew, Hey, are you ready to run for reelection? He just sort of ignores it. And all the way up to the convention in 72, it's not clear that Agnew is going to be the running mate. It's He hasn't heard a word from Nixon or his team or about anything. He keeps going out, being the good soldier and that sort of stuff, but, but, but nobody ever says anything to him. And finally, on the eve of the convention in 72, Nixon says, hey, do you want to run again? Not, hey, are you ready to run again? Do you want to run again? Knowing full well that you're going to be the guy that's put out there <laughs> to take all the hits from the media. Right. Agnew decides he's, you know, he's up for four more years of this. Says, sure. Of course, in 72, the Nixon team wins in a landslide. But as we all are aware, Watergate happens. And this stuff sort of um, continues to grow. Well, as the Nixon administration is battling the allegations of Watergate. Agnew is suddenly hit with a corruption charge from when he was governor of Maryland. He took a bribe. And in fact, there is a an accusation that he takes a bribe physically in the White House. Now, it's just an accusation. There's no proof of this, 
But it's enough of an accusation that it becomes headline news, it becomes well-talked about, and it becomes controversial, which to the Nixon administration, to the Nixon team, is actually kind of a godsend because it's distracting from Watergate. And in the middle of all these other things going on, now you've got the Yom Kippur War going on. Mm-hmm. All these things happening, and, well, Spiro Agnew gets himself in trouble. Is it tax evasion? Did it actually happen? Did he take these bribes? It's not clear, Bill. It's still, to this day, not clear. Because ultimately, Spiro Agnew will plead nolo contendere which, as you know, means no contest. Spiro Agnew will maintain to his dying day that he didn't do anything, that this was all some sort of media conspiracy to get rid of him, and that he only pled no contest because by that point his relationship with Nixon was, you know, broken, and Nixon's people had actually pulled him aside. There is some debate as to who exactly it was. I lean into the Alexander Haig theory. But somebody pulled Agnew aside and said, go and go quietly. So he pleads no contest to avoid a trial. And that same day, October 10th, 1973, today, Spiro Agnew resigns as the President of the United States. Vice President. Vice President of the United States. Sorry, got ahead of myself there because we all know what's coming. Yeah, that's very true. And that's, you'd think that's where the story ends, but of course, it's not. There's always more to that story. Let's get back to Dave Does History. So, Agnew resigns. Who jumps into the vice presidency? Well, he didn't really jump in, but... Eventually, uh, Gerald Ford is named, Congressman Gerald Ford is named as the the new vice president. Well, if he'd have jumped in, he'd have fallen down. That's why. (laughs) He is confirmed, and he becomes vice president. And, of course, as we all know, when Nixon resigns a year later, then he becomes president and so forth and so on. There's some discussion that Nelson Rockefeller was going to be the, the new vice president, but it's pretty clear that Rockefeller didn't want anything to do with the Nixon administration. Probably correctly. Spiro Agnew, you'd think he just went off into history and, and disappeared, but not quite the case. He, he, to his dying day, was very adamant that he had done nothing wrong and that he had been railroaded, I guess, in a way, out of mm-hmm. the office. He, was, he, was, he continued to be an outspoken critic of the media, and he, he hated liberals. Um, he was... Like I said, he he continued to say those things. He he would end up Did writing. Did he do any books. time as a result no. of the no. contest plea? No, probation, no. anything. No. They find him guilty based on his find, plea, or did they find him? But that was about it. Okay. Because okay. again, was there anything in it or not? Uh, they never proved the ten thousand dollar bribe. They just made an accusation. So, you know, who knows? In his post resignation life, he. He sort of disappeared from public life, but he he also wrote a memoir in which he felt that he was made the scapegoat of the Nixon to try to detract from Watergate. He doesn't say it, 
but you almost feel like it was the Nixon people, he believes it was the Nixon people that set up the charge and made the allegation of the bribery. He doesn't prove any of it, but he says that. The other thing that he does is, remember, this was all done in the background of the Yom Kippur War, uh-huh. which Nixon deftly supported Israel during. The thing about Agnew was that he was, and I'm going to use some phrasing here that you may not like, I don't really care, he was a vile anti-Semite. He hated Jews. He hated Zionists. And he continued to blame Jews and Nixon for his downfall to his dying day. Which... Was he know, outspoken about U.S. support for Israel or anything? He wasn't, or, or he wasn't was he outs- on board with that. He wasn't unspoken about it because it was the Nixon administration's right. policy. But it, had he been president of the United States, you kind of wonder what might have happened during the Yom Kippur War, because he made it clear that, you know, he was not in favor of that, but he also wasn't the president of the United States. So, right. you know, it's kind of, uh, in light of things happening today, October 10th, 50 years, 60 years later, you know, you kind of, you wonder about the cycle of life and the cycle of history and how things go. Spiro Agnew was... He was defined by that resignation. Nobody remembers him really as governor of Maryland or anything else. He was defined by his opposition to the media and his arguments with the media. And he's a divisive figure in history. But he also reminds us that the vice presidency is one of those strange things in our government. It's completely unnecessary. And yet at the same time, it's completely necessary. And we have to be cogent to that fact that Well, as one vice president once said, the job of the vice president can be defined in one word. Just be ready. (laughs) Just one word. My favorite. Dan Quayle was a treasure, right? (laughs) Do you remember when people were sending George Bush vitamins and stuff? Because of Dan Quayle. Dear Mr. (laughs) President, please stay healthy. (laughs) That's funny. You know what's interesting to me out out of this whole thing is that Nixon, by the time he passed away, had revived his statesmanship image. And Agnew, I guess maybe because he was vice president, maybe because he was a hateful guy, didn't, at least in my memory. I remember seeing him on TV as a kid and that anger you talk about and how he spoke against, you know, the media and whatever else was going on. I remembered that. He's an angry guy. I don't remember him. After he resigned at all, I don't remember hearing about him, anything else at all, ever. I, I think most people just ignored him. And and even his attempt at the memoir that he wrote was, it was bad. I mean, it's bad writing. I've read part of it. I haven't read the whole thing because it's, it's just that bad. If it's so bad that you won't read it, Mr. Historian, then it was bad. It was, it's just bad writing. Yeah. But if you're going to make accusations of something, shouldn't you have some proof? You would think. But he doesn't. What are you going to do? So compare that to Nixon being able to reform his image in the public eye. And he was he was an elder statesman by the time he passed away. The thing about Nixon to me, and again, this is subject to debate. Nixon was a foreign policy expert. Mm -hmm. Agnew wasn't. Nixon, whatever domestic problems he had, was a very good and accomplished foreign policy guy. We've talked about Nixon, detente with with the Soviets. Absolutely. There's an old Vulcan proverb, only Nixon could go to China. 
Right. Those kind of things were there, but but at the same time, and and so when there's it comes, another one now too. Only Trump could go to North Korea, but yes, yes, you know, uh, similar. You know, and and, and Nixon's recovery. I don't know that most people that lived through that ever saw Nixon in a positive light again. But if you watch the later interviews with him, he's very, very cogent. And he has a lot of good information and a lot of ideas that I think were valid. How much of them played into the administrations? Because again, he's toxic. You can't, you can't touch him. The same thing happened to Agnew. You, you can't be associated with Spiro Agnew after this resignation. Right. It'll make you look bad. So he had, he had to start his own business ventures, most of which failed. And his memoir, of course, which was bad. <laughs> Some of the you know, my dad always swore that when historians look back at the Nixon administration, that he would go down as one of the best his presidents in the history of this country. I, my dad was a big I Nixon. I think fan. from a foreign policy standpoint, I would agree with that. I think there's some domestic issues that were problematic. I mean, you know, we... We deal with problems today because of the gold standard. We deal with problems today because of the, the EPA. There were things in Nixon. Price controls. Yeah. Uh, day, year-round daylight savings time. You know, those sorts of things that I don't think Please, Nixon. Please, bring it back. Bring it back, Dave. Yeah, I agree, but I, don't get me started on that. <laughs> have you looked ahead to next week, Dave? I actually have not. Anybody okay. has any ideas, you can drop me a text, uh, 209-565-3283, or an email, dave at the com. Very good. The West Cocoa Pharmacy made this hour possible. Who thought we'd have had fun with Spiro Agnew? But we did. Dave, thank you. Thanks for joining me all day. We'll see you next Tuesday. See you then.